0: Well, good morning, Moncton Wesleyan. It's, uh, it's great to be here this morning. I am, uh, my name is Mike Tapper, and I am your new Connections Pastor. And uh, I am thrilled to be here, absolutely thrilled to be here. Looking back uh, over the last uh, six months, I'm humbled by God's faithfulness to bring my family and I to this place, to this platform and since I arrived a little over a, a month ago now, uh, I want you to know how grateful I am for the, uh, for the way that God has used you to encourage and affirm and provide insight to me and my family through uh, this significant transition of ours. Really, it's been amazing. So thank you for your warm welcomes. Uh, thank you for your engaging hospitality. Thank you even for... You're ribbing over this plaster uh, uh, cast that I have here on my, uh, on my arm. But most of all, thank you for your inspiring faith. It's been extremely inspiring to me and to my family. And I'm convinced that God has some real great things in store for us as a church, as a church family. And so I'm expecting. Are you expecting this morning? Good. I believe that you are. So uh, let's journey together and let's jump right into Isaiah. If you have your Bibles this morning, why don't you grab them and we'll take a look here at Isaiah. This summer, Pastor Tim has been doing just an amazing job, hasn't he? Walking us through the, uh, the book of Isaiah. Yeah, sure. And we've discovered and we're discovering that Isaiah, this 8th century B.C. prophet, has all kinds of relevant insight for us 2,700 years later. Amazing, isn't it? And I see that uh, true to form here this morning... What's the the title of our our series here this summer? Somebody. Flip-flops. Yeah, flip-flops. And I can see as I look at some of your feet that many of you are wearing your flip-flops. Well, good for you. Now, Now, I'm hoping this morning that... You won't hold this against me as the new guy, but but I've got to admit to you that I've never really been a flip-flop kind of guy. Am I the only one here this morning? No? No? Okay. <laughs> so when I think of the word flip-flop this morning, I don't think necessarily of the classic summer footwear. Instead, for me, when I think of the term flip-flop, for me, it conjures up thoughts of someone heading in one direction and then having second thoughts, and kind of going off in another direction. And of course, aside from all kinds of different personal anecdotes, I'm sure that you can think of famous and notorious flip-flops, right? So there's, in the sports world, there's the NFL's Brett Favre a few years back. You remember him, right? Retiring, and then unretiring, and then retiring, and then unretiring again. Who knows? Favre might be back again this fall on an NFL team, right? And there's Lance Armstrong. After years of aggressively denying, sitting with Oprah Winfrey, Lance, in all your seven Tour de France victories, did you ever take a banned substance or blood dope? Yes yes and historically there's there's certainly been all kinds of scientific flip-flops haven't there the world is flat no the world is not flat pluto is in no pluto is out and of course who can forget or who can overlook dr zeus's pesky sam who who forces that flip-flop you know it right I will not eat green eggs and ham on a boat with a goat, in the rain, on a train, in a tree, in a box, with a fox, in a house, with a mouse. I do not like them anywhere. Wow. Claps. (laughs) Say, I like green eggs and ham. I do. I, I like them. Sam, I am famous flip-flops, and then friends, there's political flip-flops. But we won't go there this morning. <laughs> this is my first sermon. I don't want to shoot myself here. <laughs> this morning, as we continue to read through the Book of Isaiah, we're going to look at a major flip-flop that occurs, a significant U-turn there between Isaiah chapter 10 and Isaiah chapter 12. And we're going to ask ourselves, why? Why is it there? You see, things are heading in one direction there in chapter 10, and then surprisingly, something happens there in chapter 11, and things go in a completely unexpected direction. And today we're asking why. Why? So let's uh, let's get going here, and to recap... In the early chapters of Isaiah, some of you have been reading, good for you. Things are not looking good for Isaiah in those early chapters. In fact, by Isaiah's time, the northern kingdom of Israel has been completely overrun by the Assyrians. It's game over for them. The southern kingdom of Judah is left, but things are looking just as bleak for them. And so in Isaiah 1, as we read there, we read about a rebellious Judah. An unfaithful nation bringing meaningless sacrifices, Isaiah says, to God. And then in chapter 2, it's full of God's judgment against insolent Judah too. Described there in chapter 2 as superstitious and full of idols, arrogant and prideful. The result of which, but for God's mercy, is Judah's utter demise. And these harsh prophecies, they continue there in chapter 5 where there's all kinds of woes and there's all kinds of judgments against Judah and Jerusalem. Specifically in chapter 8, verses 7 and 8 there, we're told that it'll be the powerful army of Assyria that's going to wreak havoc on the chosen people of God. See, God will use the Assyrian army as an instrument of judgment And chapter 8, verse 8, will sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to the neck. And so it is in chapter 9, verses 19 to 20. Isaiah graphically describes Judah's fate like this. Look at it with me. Chapter 9, verses 19 to 20. By the wrath of the Lord Almighty, the land will be scorched. And the people will be fuel for the fire. They will not spare one another. On the right, they will devour but still be hungry. And on the left, they will eat but not be satisfied. Each will feed on the flesh of their own offspring. Friends, things are not looking good. The people of Judah have been warned, and yet Judah has disobeyed God. And so Isaiah prophesies about what is to come. And it's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture. Only a fragment of the tribe of Judah, a remnant, will survive as a vassal of Assyria. And at the end of chapter 10, Judah's enemies even, the mighty Assyrians, will be destroyed. Take a look there. Verse 33, chapter 10. See, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. And so the picture that emerges there at the end of chapter 10 is that of a dead, war-torn piece of land. It's cut down. It's broken. It's destroyed. It's desecrated. And it lies in ruin. Can you picture that with me this morning? If you're having trouble, think in your mind of the vivid scenes that we're seeing on our TV screens today. From Eastern Europe, or for that matter, contemporary Jerusalem and Gaza. Scorched land, rubble, bloodstained. These are the types of images that the prophet Isaiah seems to be conveying here. But wait a minute. And, and, and let's do, just for a moment, what we're told we're never supposed to do. Let's, just for a moment, hop the fence and leap over chapter 11, and let's jump directly into chapter 12. Let's read there. In that day you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord Call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Friends, something strange has happened here. (laughs) Something has taken place. You want to talk about a flip-flop, right? Chapter 10 ends like a horror show. But chapter 12 is a song of praise. Something's happened. Before we had vivid images of desolation and destruction and deadness and chaos. But in chapter 12, comfort, strength, salvation... Celebration. Praise. Question this morning I want us to wrestle with this is is this, church. In the midst of, not beyond or in spite of, but in the midst of, those very real situations in our lives that seem discouraging and frustrating and maddening and utterly hopeless today? How do we move from a preoccupation with the reality that's right in front of us to singing and proclaiming God's greatness? How do we do that? In other words, how do we get from the reality of chapter 10 to the reality of chapter 12. Some of you have come this morning and you've entered into this beautiful place of worship and you can dive right directly into chapter 12 and you can sing from your shoelaces about the overwhelming evidence of God's goodness and God's grace and God's strength and salvation in your life. And if that's you this morning... We are glad you're here. We are so glad you're here. God bless you. Blessings upon you. We need you here. We encourage you to ride that wave. But I am guessing this morning, thanks. I'm guessing this morning, in a group like this, there are also some of you here where things are looking more chapter 10-ish. Then chapter 12-ish. Are you with me? Maybe relationally, things are kind of messed up. Or maybe financially, things are looking kind of bleak. The hope meter is kind of low this morning. And frustration and sadness was on your mind this morning when you got out of bed. If that's you this morning, and let's face it this morning, friends, we've all been there, right? Right? We've all been there. I want to point us to Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11, that wedge chapter that we just jumped over. To point us to the divine source of this penultimate flip-flop. If you tune out the rest of the message here this morning, grab onto this. Our righteous branch. God wants to help reframe some of your stories today amen amen let's read there isaiah 11 starting in verse 1 a shoot will come up from the stump of jesse from his roots a branch will bear fruit the spirit of the lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding the spirit of counsel and of power the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the lord and he will delight in the fear of the lord God can help you. God can help you. Today, with the benefit of looking at the fulfillment of this Isaiah 11 prophecy that we just read there, we know that the tender shoot that's referred here is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Sent by the Father, empowered by the Spirit, into our world, friends, and into our circumstances. And church, it's because of this shoot, it's because of this Savior, the very one who has the power to speak into the things that weigh you down today, we have the ability to tap into that life source and experience a Holy Spirit flip-flop. A Holy Spirit flip-flop. And so... The time that we have left, we're going to unpack one idea. You heard that right. I'm a one-point preacher this morning. Maybe if you invite me back, I'll be invited to preach a few more. (laughs) The one idea I want to convey to us is simply this this morning. God can help you flip and reframe your stories. God can help you flip and reframe your life stories. You ever notice how a subtle shift in the way that a story is understood can completely change the way it's ultimately interpreted? I want to illustrate that this morning with a little pastoral faux pas of mine. I hope I never do this to you. A few years back, a young woman came to my office and she was concerned about her future. She had some big decisions to make uh, ahead of her and she was seeking God out and things were kind of unresolved for this person. And so, like most pastors in that particular situation, I attentively listened. Uh, We talked a little bit and then I prayed specifically for her. A few days later, our previous uh, conversation came to my mind and so I wrote this woman a little note. In the note, I wrote, Sarah, it was... uh, Great to chat with you. God has amazing plans for your future. Trust in him. I'll be praying for you. God bless. Mike, I wrote. Now, because I was feeling super spiritual at the time, I put a little scripture reference under my name. You've done this before, haven't you? <laughs> I wrote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know this verse, many of you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him And what? He will direct your path. That's right. Well, I wrote that. I sealed the little note, or I thought I wrote that. Sealed the little note, mailed it. A few days later, Sarah returned. She was anxious, more anxious than before. Irritated. She says, Mike, I got your note. But I have to tell you, Mike, I, I, I've hardly slept. I understood the words of your little um, your little uh, card. but But what did you mean by the scripture verse? Well, Sarah, I said, you know, Trust in God. He's got a great plan for your future. Be encouraged to trust in Him. What I didn't know at the time, but I certainly know now, and I quickly learned from Sarah, is that during the writing of my note, I must have had one of those momentary dyslexic moments, and I wrote Proverbs 5.3 instead of Proverbs 3.5. Now, you know Proverbs 3.5, but does anyone know Proverbs 5.3? Anyone? true story. Sarah never came to me again for pastoral counseling. (laughs) Silly tapper. (laughs) Of course, it's an absurd illustration, isn't it? (laughs) But you get the point. Just a a slight tweak in the way (laughs) the story is understood, but, uh, Hugely different outcome, right? Hugely different. Back in our text, a big part of Judah's problem was the way that they were actually connecting the dots. You see, their biggest problem was not the Assyrian army. And it was not economic stability. In fact, Isaiah tells us that Assyria was no more than a tool in the hands of of Yahweh. And so Judah's greatest issue was actually failing to align themselves with God's story. What they needed most was a reframe of their story. Not to remove or ignore the events that were actually taking place, but to re- reinterpret them. Because, and please catch this, the way that they were connecting the dots led them to invest their energies in the wrong places. Did you hear that? Friends, do you suppose that it's possible that some of us here this morning are in need of a little flip, just a a, a reinterpretation of our life stories? Maybe not a lot, Maybe just a tweak, a slight recalibration of the numbers such that if we did it, it could actually reframe what has us locked down, bound up. And imagine it might actually send us out of this place with a fresh sense of hope. I don't know what your issues might be here this morning. I don't need to know. That's between you and God. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's something that you're finding hard to give to God. Maybe it's a known sin that has you buried in shame. Maybe the issue is, is time management. Or it's your job. Or it's your issue with the church. Or maybe it's something physical. Whatever it is, could it be that you're connecting the dots a certain way, and you've been doing it for so long that it feels like the only option that's on the table. Let me ask, what do you suppose the outcome might be if you reframed your life sequence just a wee bit different? What do you suppose your life might look like this week if, with God's help, you link the dots just a little bit differently? Or let's ask it like this how might that situation that you would otherwise be wrestling with for the rest of the summer, how might that look if you took a step back and you placed it within the context of a bigger narrative? We'll call it God's grand narrative here this morning. And what is this meta-narrative, you ask? What is this grand story? Well, it's the story of a creator who by God's very nature is perfect relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Eternal being in communion. And it's because of that dynamic interrelationality that God, by his very nature, is compelled by an unconstrained love, by free will, to initiate a divine project. We like to call it creation. And so enter the world and enter humanity into this grand story. But friends, this is not a distant, aloof God who creates the world in classical, deistic form and then sits back like a clockmaker makes a clock and then remains unengaged with it. No. No. This is the story of a God who longs for relationship with his creation. And continues to directly engage creation and the created order. Think of it, friends. This is a particular God in three who wants to be made known to you and to me. And so, our triune God, who is compelled by love, radically and sinlessly involves himself in real time and real space. Emmanuel god with us to tie it to the passage that we've just read it's the shoot he's the shoot from the stump of jesse and this story friends has remarkable interconnectivity and a beautiful historical plot there's creation But there's also covenant, and there's captivity in Egypt, and there's pillars of clouds and fire, and there's marching around the walls of Jericho, and there's people like Elijah and Elisha and Nehemiah and Esther and Samuel and David and Ruth. And there's incarnation. There's incarnation and there's redemption because of sin. And God brings about his purposes in this story towards an intended finale for you and for me, for all of creation. And it's a perfect communion in the end. One of my favorites says it like this, quote, the created world will become truly itself, will move towards its completion when through Christ and the spirit, it is presented perfect before the throne of God of the Father. Imagine it, friends. Imagine it. And church, an important part of this great story is that God invites us to weave our little stories into this grand, forward-moving narrative. Friends, that's good news. That's good news. It's the greatest news of all. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? It means that in your story, today where there's sin, that God can redeem and make you holy. And it means in your story this morning where there's fear that God can bring peace and calm and it means in your story today, where there's sorrow, that God can offer a future hope. Why? Because God wants to do these sorts of things. Because that's who God is. It's His story. And His story, friends, is consistent with this character. And we're invited to tap into it. We're invited to tap into it. Don't misunderstand me this morning. I'm not saying that the issues that we're dealing with are inconsequential, that they're not important. They are. They are. They're real. And these are realities that, of course, we wouldn't want to overlook this morning. To do so would be calamitous, even destructive and dangerous for some of us to do. I'm not asking us this morning to ignore these things. And I'm not asking us this morning to give in. But what I am asking us to do this morning and encouraging us to do, however, is to consider reframing. How are you connecting the dots in your life this morning? How are you connecting the dots? One more illustration, friends, and then we're done. Moncton Wesleyan Church, uh, please meet the McElhaney's. John, Mel, Katie, and uh, Josiah McElhaney. Some of you are familiar with the McElhaney family. Uh, John's dad is a lead pastor at River Valley Wesleyan Church here in New Brunswick. And the McElhaney family has a rich Wesleyan heritage. This, uh, this family that you see here, uh, their, their lives, their story got rocked pretty hard here about a decade ago. When both Katie and Josiah, the kids here in this picture as infants, they were diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. Cystic fibrosis, as many of you know, is a respiratory illness. And at present, it shortens life and it greatly inconveniences life. And to date, there is no known cure for this illness, cystic fibrosis. And so this beautiful family has choices to make every day how they're going to connect the dots. And friends, I'm here to tell you they do it right. They do it right. A few years ago, Katie, now 13, she held up a cardboard testimony in her church. And on one side, it said, afflicted with a terminal illness. And then she flipped it over and it read, given eternal life. Today, Joe, this, uh, 12-year-old kid who is a buddy to my kids. He's having a really tough go. It's been a really tough year for, for him. He's been in and out of the hospital. His, uh, his respiratory numbers are, are pretty low. They've been the lowest uh, just in the recent weeks than they've ever been. Doctors are working pretty hard to figure out the right medication to get those numbers back where they need to be. It's been a tough year for this family. Real tough year. But they're connecting the dots well, friends. They're connecting them well. God's not only sustaining them, he is also using them as powerful beacons, as examples of hope and change. I asked John and Mel on Facebook this past Friday if they would mind me using them as an illustration as an exemplary model of our capacity to reframe the messiness in our lives this is what mel wrote she wrote whatever brings him glory or helps someone else along it's important that people understand that god is good no matter what isn't that good words it's good words John wrote one of the things that gets us through this is knowing that our story can encourage others and they are they are how are you connecting the dots this morning how are you connecting the dots this morning Isaiah 11 the passage that we just read here earlier it's quoted once in the new testament And that's where I want us to go to close here this morning. It's Romans chapter 15, actually, verses 12 and 13. In Paul's letter to the church in Rome, Paul is writing to instruct the people of God on how to be God's people. How to live according to the gospel, the meta-narrative, the big story. And he reminds them there In Romans chapter 15 verse 12 of Isaiah's prophecy way, way back in Isaiah 11 verse 10. Isn't that cool? Paul writes, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations, the Gentiles will hope in him. And then he goes on, and this is an appropriate benediction, I think, for us today. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you, church. Let's bow our heads this morning. And as we bow this morning, I'm wondering if there are some of you here who are saying, Mike, I hear you. And, and I want to pray this morning that that God will help me to reframe my story. I've got a, a situation in my life in which I want to reconnect the dots so that they better glorify him and fit better into god's great big story if that's you and if you're comfortable with it would you just slip up your hand no one's going to track you or single you out this is just a way for you to respond to what the holy spirit may be prompting in your heart just slip your hand up this morning lots of hands god bless you let's pray this morning living god Great is your faithfulness. Help us, God, to say that and believe it even when we don't feel like it. Thank you that we can trust you when the circumstances around us don't warrant that trust. Help us, God, to know that you are the God who is in control of everything today that we fear. You can redeem the circumstances that are caused by life in this broken world. Holy Spirit, help us, help us to remember your faithfulness as it's recorded in your word and in the history of your church and as it's recorded in the stories of our own lives. We're asking you this morning, God, to reframe and reconnect our stories so that they align more with you. In Jesus' name.